every Sunday, we can express a sense of surprise that God can visit each one of us, members and visitors, with a sense of his presence. Experience and realize that surprise today. In the summer of 1991, we became a member of this fellowship of believers, and we have been continually surprised during all phases of church life, the various things that happen, that sense of surprise and thankfulness, what God is continuing to do to help us to learn how to worship him. Welcome to you, all of you who are members, but also our guests and visitors. Uh, if you're a visitor, make sure you grab that hymnal and the worship folders. It will help you as we worship together as you follow along in our worship. Uh, especially to you who are newcomers, take the visitor's card in front, fill that out if you'd like to be contacted. And if you have any special needs that we can pray for for this next week. There's one other thing that I'd like for you to consider doing. Every Sunday you can ex experience a new surprise can mean, be meaningful to you if you will try to associate the youth with the parent. Sometimes you see the youth and you don't know who the parents are. Get to know and associate the parents with the youth and continually experience that joy of knowing them and experience their life and getting to know them. May God bless you as we worship together the living God.
pray with me. God, thank you for meeting us here today in this space. Thank you for loving us. In our humanity, in our brokenness, in our possession of endless ideas, we seek you. We come weary from writing our own stories and from carrying our own perceptions and expectations for this life. Have mercy on us, Lord, that we may let go of these expectations that grieve us. Grant us mercy, Lord, to forgive the broken parts of ourselves with yourself, with your love. Allow us to be made whole by your grace. Teach us to walk humbly in your ways. Amen. The children can come join me at the front for the children's message. Have y'all ever wanted something really, really bad that you thought you would never get? Yeah, yeah. I did too. When I was a kid, I really wanted a cat. Every single birthday and every Christmas, that's the only thing I asked for. But I thought I would never get one because my dad didn't like cats and he didn't want us to have pets indoors. 
Then, when I was in fifth grade, something surprising happened. Guess what it was? I got a cat. Y'all are so smart. You want to see a picture of her? That's her. Her name's Cookie. Pretty cute, huh? You know, sometimes God surprises us by giving us things that seem impossible, too. That doesn't mean that we always get everything we ask for, because sometimes we don't ask for things that are what's best. But we can trust that God knows what's best and that he can and sometimes does do things that completely surprise us. In a few minutes, we'll hear the story of Sarah and Abraham read from Scripture. They were two people who God surprised with something that seemed completely impossible. Even though Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was 90, God gave them a baby. It's crazy, right? Can you imagine a 90-year-old lady having a baby? Pretty crazy. I'd say that's probably even more surprising than me getting a cat, right? (laughs) Well, as we go about our lives this week, let's remember that we serve a God who can do things that seem impossible. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for this day, for the chance to worship you together and to learn um, from your word. I pray that you would help us to have ears to hear from you and hearts that are open to listen as we learn about you doing impossible things in the lives of your people. Thank you, God, for all you are and all you do in our lives. In your name I pray. Amen. to heal me.
A reading from the Gospel of Luke. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right to answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came down to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine over them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers, Jesus asked. He said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. This is the word of God for the people of God. child, my mother read Bible stories to me from a book that was illustrated. And the picture of God, I remember, was of this aged, white-haired man sitting up in the clouds staring sternly at the people on earth. I was a challenging child. <laughs> You're not surprised, are you? And, and my mother, I think out of desperation, frequently reminded me that God could see everything I did. And in my mind, I visualized that stern God looking down at me, keeping track of all my disobedience. I don't think I was taught this, but I developed the idea that fearing God meant actually being afraid of him. It wasn't until I understood that fear also means respect that my perception began to change. I remember reading Genesis as a teenager and coming to the passage where Moses argued with God. I was amazed that God didn't just zap him off the face of the earth. That was my surprise, number one. Here was a man who argued with God and lived to tell about it. 
As I grew in my walk with Christ, I began to understand that the focus of Scripture is love and compassion. The God of the Old Testament, sitting up in the clouds, looking down at the people on earth, loved his creation the same way we see that love described in the New Testament in the depiction of Christ. That brought me to surprise number two. Those passages describing the relationship between God and Moses showed me that although mankind can be stupid, unlovable, and totally removed from the fellowship God desired, God could be reminded that he loved us. I saw parallels between God the Father and myself as a mother. My children could drive me to distraction. And although there were times when I wanted to declare, I brought you into this world and I can take you out. I would never really harm my children. My third surprise came later in life. When I looked at the relationship between God and Moses, I saw similarities to my relationship with God. There were many times when I questioned what God was doing in my life, in the lives of my children, in the world in which we lived. There were times when I cried out, God, have you forgotten your promises? Do you know that I'm doing the best I can down here? By following your will, will I, will I be rejected and misunderstood? I was surprised when I realized it was okay to have this tension between God and me. It was okay to shout out my frustration and anger. Almighty God understands my anger. Just as Moses reminded God that those unruly people were his chosen, God reminds me that we unruly Christians are also his chosen. God temporarily regretted getting involved with his creation and sometimes I temporarily regret the sacrifices that it requires to follow Christ completely. My third surprise was that questioning and railing against God will not result in my being zapped from the face of the earth. Instead, it will lead me to a deeper understanding of how much God loves me and how carefully he has created the path I need to follow. I'm thankful and humbled that God always surprises. Christ has risen, Christ has risen for the people whom 
he died to love and save. Christ has risen for the world and Christ has risen to compassion for martyrs to fear the night, sensing loss and limitation where their faith had once been bright. I'm not Mary Alice. <laughs> Unfortunately, Mary Alice is sick today with a bad stomach bug. She texted me yesterday, and we talked about doing the sermon today, and she said, can you do something on the theme, God always surprises? And it is no surprise that no one ever says no to Mary Alice. <laughs> so that's what we'll try to do. God always surprises, but we got to start on a porch before we get in the house. Guess the porch is the caveat, the qualifier, or whatever, but not every surprise is a good surprise. Some are bad. Cancer is a bad surprise, period, the end. My dad got cancer, he dies. A woman comes up to me and says, but the way he handled death, it'll save so many people. And I said to myself, I bit my tongue. No, I don't like that kind of evangelism. Don't sign me up for it. No, it's bad. Unsuspected adultery, bad surprise. Sudden break of a relationship, bad surprise. All you who are parents out there and have read those parenting books about how you parent and how you handle all these situations, something's going to happen, if not already, it's going to happen in the future that you're going to go, it's not in the book. 
I didn't say this to my mom. I didn't say this to my dad. I don't know how to deal with this. It's not good. And let's face it, it's not a good surprise. So there's the porch, but you need to walk inside the house with me. Because when you walk in the house of the Bible, and I'm going to focus on the New Testament and the life of, the G of Jesus, the surprises are there from the very beginning, from the very first page. I love Christmas here because of the music. I especially love to hear Sherry DeHaye sing Oh Holy Nights, highlight of the year for me. But next year I need her to sing Oh Holy Surprise. Think about that story. Shepherds, they're not really religious affiliated. They don't follow all the religious obligations. Uneducated, they're the first ones to be invited to the party. They're the first missionaries. To use a sociologist term today, they would be the knowns, the N-O-N-E-S, the folks who really just don't go to church. They're the ones that got the announcement first. Surprise. How about the wise men? prestige, power from the east. They come expecting to find a king. They don't end up in a Jerusalem Hilton. They end up in a Bethlehem Motel 6. And how about that virgin birth? Yes, President, I affirm it, okay? How about that virgin birth? An unwed, betrothed teenager. Last time I checked, takes two to tango, and all of a sudden she ends up pregnant to the Son of God. Surprise. In fact, the whole incarnation, the whole concept that God becomes flesh, the Jews weren't expecting a divine Savior. The Greeks thought that once divinity hit humanity, it wouldn't be divinity anymore. They couldn't accept that. The whole incarnation, all culminating in the resurrection, one big holy surprise. Have fun with me for a minute. Let's walk through some more of the story. What happens at 12? Jesus ends in the temple. He is there with tenured professors, and he makes them look weak. They are awed by his questions and his answers. And then we see him when he becomes an adult, and he surprises his half-cousin, John the Baptizer, by going, Hey, I need what you're doing. And John, to us, not surprisingly, goes, Wait a minute. I'm after the brood of vipers. I'm after the educated elite who think they have their doctrines correct, who have got it all together. They know who's in. They know who's out. They think they have heredity back to the sons of Abraham. I'm after those folks. I can't even tie your sandals. Why are you coming to me? Surprise. I got to do it. And then John, feeling affirmed in his message later on, gets another surprise. Because John had said, one's coming after me. He's better than me. I can't tie those sandals. He's going to baptize with fire and the Holy Spirit. And he's going to separate the wheat and chaff. And the judgment's going to come. And then he starts hearing about what Jesus is doing. And so he sends some folks to Jesus. And he's a little shaken up. And he goes, now, are you really the one? Are you the one? And in a very provocative passage, Jesus looks at those followers of John and says, Go tell John what you've seen, what you've heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have good news brought to them, and blessed is anybody in here 
who doesn't take offense at my way. Surprise. The high are going to be brought low. The humble are going to be exalted. The last is going to be first. The first is going to be last. This kingdom, it's not of my world. This is not my world kingdom. Surprise. You see, how he taught was a holy surprise. We're scribes. We footnote. We document. We vet. We want to get in the top flight Hebrew journals. He didn't do that. He taught out of a personal authority, led by the Spirit of God, and people were in awe. It's not only how he taught, it's obviously what he taught. All kinds of things in the air. Let's just mention two. His two most famous parables that your Sunday school is going to tell you. The first one, he gives a surprise about how you should think of God. We call it the story of the prodigal son, but it's really what they now call the story of the, the loving parent. Son takes the money, arrogant, runs away, ruins, comes back, asks for forgiveness, and guess what? As soon as the father sees him, goes after him, forgives him, and throws him the big party. It is a surprising picture of forgiveness. And then the one that we read this morning, the story of the Good Samaritan. That's a story about us. The first one's about God. That one's about us. It's about how we are and how we should be. Take a look at the characters. There's some surprises and maybe not some surprises. Or you got the victim on the side of the road. Are we really surprised that victims are voiceless? Well, we're starting to work with victims. But they're still pretty voiceless. Oh, the lawyers say we can't mention their names. They're voiceless. They're really not surprised by that. That's the way we work. And then they're the bad people. The robbers. They come, they steal, they leave him half dead. And we're not surprised by that. This is an evil world. It's bad. You've been hurt. Some of you badly. We live in a world, sorry to be political, but we live in a world where Sandy Hook and Columbine have been normalized in violence. We never even do anything about it. Why are we surprised that people get robbed and are left on the side of the road? And there's an interesting character that introduces the story. He's kind of a good guy. He asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Because the story starts, as you know, he wants to test Jesus. It's kind of a sign, test him. But he gives a good answer. Here are the two commandments. They're great. And Jesus says, hey, go follow those. But notice what he does. And this is not a surprise. He is us. He tries to justify himself. He tries to justify his sense of privilege. Well, well who is my neighbor? That's us. We're always justifying ourselves. We're always protecting our privilege. And then the next group of folks. Now they're real fascinating. That's Eric Holloman, Manny McMichael, Steve Sadler, Doug Weaver, John Singletary. I gotta include you in that. That's all of us. And then by the way, I'm gonna include all of you because of the priesthood of believers. It's all of you, professional religious folk. Priest, Levite, 
educational training, the educated elite. That's us. You have titles. How many, you know what happens at Baylor? I'm professor of religion, but after 10 or plus years, I finally made up a title because everybody else is making up a title. We have titles. You have titles too. Priest, title. Levite, title. You have obligations, responsibilities. What do they do? We expect them to stop. We expect them to help the person voiceless in the ditch. And then they don't. And so initially we're surprised by that. But should we be? They've got titles to protect. We really don't know why they don't stop. You can read all the books. They're afraid they might get robbed. They've got temple money. They need to get to the temple. They're going to be late for worship service. It starts at 1045. They can't touch a corpse because it will make them ritually unclean. Whatever the reason is, they rationalize that it's okay to walk by on the other side. Maybe we shouldn't be so surprised. That's what we do. We rationalize all the time. But this story does have one gigantic big surprise. And that's the Samaritan. Oh, you've been to Sunday school, you know the Samaritan, he's the half-breed. 8th century B.C., Deirdre's not here to help me. 8th century B.C., Assyrians' conquest, Samaritans begin to have mixed marriages. Down through the centuries, they develop a rival temple. And if you're Jewish, you're going, my gosh, that's blasphemy. And in fact, some Jewish rabbis said you can't take any gift. Can't take donors. Got to watch this. You can't take any gift from somebody who's not like you, who is a Samaritan, because it will delay the redemption of Israel. They're bad. They're half-breeds. In the last few months, I've been studying white supremacy in the late 19th century South. I've been reading sources from Texas. Hold your breath. That's coming. But I've been reading sources from Georgia where I lived for a long time. One of the progressives at the turn of the 20th century, his name was John White, sorry Elaine, John White, was progressive. He wanted African Americans who didn't have the right to vote to get educated. He liked the Booker T. Washington idea that they could do vocational training. Now, they had to have their certain place in white society, but they could grow in that particular place as long as white supremacy was strong. In fact, he had a trickle-down economy. Let's improve blacks in their place. Let's make sure whites are strong. John White really wasn't any different from any other Baptist I've read. But the one part that I think maybe surprised me, and then it didn't, was the, the half-breed that he talks about. And excuse the language. He said, I hate mulattoes. He says, they're a disgrace to humanity. They're a blight. 
He railed against white people who had sexual promiscuity, who produced mulattoes, but then he moves and he says, we cannot have mulattoes in white South. They must be exterminated. That's the big surprise of the Good Samaritan story. They wanted to exterminate the Samaritan. He wasn't good. He was different. He was outside the box. He was outside the wall. He was outside the barrier. He was different. And all of a sudden, Jesus starts telling that story, and the Bible pounders, the Bible thumpers are going, no, not him. He can't be the hero. Not him. The person you don't want to be the winner. And that's who Jesus said was good. The Samaritan. The Samaritan took the risk, took the detour, and expressed extravagant grace called compassion. I don't know how you read that story, but I call it spirit-led. So let me say again, not every surprise is good. But when you're not open to the spirit breaking barriers, knocking down walls, when you're not open to the Samaritan being the embodiment of goodness in the gospel, then you have missed what John heard from Jesus. Don't take offense from my message. Lepers are being healed. Demons are being exercised. Blind, having their eyes open. The poor are having the gospel preached. When you open your eyes to the holy surprise of the gospel, God is on the side of the oppressed. The people that we put in the ditch and keep in the ditch. The people we discriminate against. The people that we exclude out of what? Out of fear? Out of doctrinal certainty? If you were my age, you grew up in the 60s and the 70s, and yeah, you guess you wear ties, so sorry. The issue in which we needed to be surprised was race. 1954, Brown versus Board of Education said that public facilities should be desegregated, integrated with due speed. But notice, nobody did that. Schools were slow, Baylor was slow, University of Georgia was slow, University of Florida was slow, everybody was slow. And then the public schools were even slower. And so I'm getting ready to enter the ninth grade in 1970, and federal mandated busing finally hits. And so we began to attend a school that had never had a white child before. We crossed town. But before we did it, people in our church, my dad was a pastor, 
said, let's, let's start a private school. It was white flight. Let's don't go to that school. My dad refused. Now, looking back, I'm not surprised because he'd already done a couple other things. There was an African-American church literally two blocks down the road, and so these churches weren't integrated. But one Sunday morning, a young black child started coming to Sunday school. The chairman of the deacons runs into my dad's office and goes, we got a problem, we got a problem. And my dad goes, what is it? Well, there's a little black boy in Sunday school. And my dad goes, well, why are you asking me? That's Jesus' Sunday school, go ask him. <laughs> a little bit later, in classic Baptist fashion, we were having a revival. Nine different people walked down the aisle. My daddy could bleed just as I am better than anybody. But in those nine was that black child. The church didn't say anything. God pulled one over their eyes, my dad told me later. He'd surprised them. So then we start integration. And everybody was so convinced in their white superiority that nothing good would come of it. And they were surprised that some of us, although the education wasn't all that great, separate but equal, had produced the school facilities we had. And by the way, separate but equal was a lie. But nevertheless, we had a race relations laboratory. And so I came out of that high school experience, what I would call pretty liberal or progressive on race. And I go off to college to Mississippi, a land that I love, a land of my dad, and my gosh, it was like going back to Jim Crow again. But I maintained my progressive stance on race. And then I go off to seminary, and I continue to do that, and there are other people there like me. I thought I had it together. On this issue, I had seen the holy surprise of the gospel. God was for all people. Thought I had it. But what this Good Samaritan story tells me is that even if you think you have it, you've got to be open to more surprise. I really hadn't experienced the power of racial reconciliation until my dad died. It was in 1983. Pat had taken a leave of absence from work. I was in the middle of preparing for prelim examinations for gosh sake. And we leave Louisville, Kentucky, and we go back to Virginia. And we're in that hospital room. And by the way, he's suffering. And he's suffering horribly. For two days, he said nothing. He didn't move. We thought it was over. We thought we would never have any other communication with him. In fact, the only communication I was doing with him is that I was putting ice chips on his lip. We then began to have no visitors. That made sense, right? I mean, we'd he'd popular pastor, so many people coming in, but we just couldn't handle it anymore. So we put a no visitor sign on the door. And frankly, I was sick and tired of people coming in the room and saying, hey, the suffering must not be too bad. You're a pastor. I'm just so sick of that. Well, somebody knocked on the door and I go to the door. I was an African-American man in a hospital gown. And look, I was the young, middle-twenties progressive, but I just didn't have time for it. And I was getting ready to say, what do you need? You need to leave. My mom recognized him. 
She motioned for him to come in. And then, look, my dad hadn't said anything in 48 hours. Nothing. And I, she was just, in my mind, going through the motions, hoping that her husband would hear her. She goes, Sugar, guess who's here to see you? It's Dallas. You remember Dallas. Dallas worked at the church where you just finished up your interim. And then I got hit with the biggest surprise of my life. My dad opened his eyes. He stuck out his hand. And he spoke. And he said, Dallas, come here and hug me. And they hugged. And I cried. For my dad, Mississippi born and bred, Dallas was his good Samaritan. In his dying moments, he needed to express love to someone he had been taught to despise. It's really easy to stereotype Dallas. Uneducated, poor, African-American, janitor in a white church. But God's full of surprises. I thought I had it together. I thought I was progressive. I thought I was liberal on race. I still hadn't experienced the power of God's surprising work in your life when you're open to the Spirit of God. One of my favorite preachers, which shows my age, is an old American Baptist named Tony Campolo. I've written about him before. Campolo loved his African-American pastor. He said he always preached through the whole Bible. So I tried that with y'all. I did the New Testament today. But he told about this preacher one time having a sermon titled, Title or Testimony. Pharaoh got the title, but Moses in the Red Sea got the testimony. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon got the title, but Daniel in the lion's den has the testimony. King Agrippa got the title, but Paul against the state got the testimony. Priest and the Levite, and all of us in here with our degrees, we got the title. But the Good Samaritans got the testimony. Pilate, he's got a title. And my God, Jesus, has got a testimony. So, what's it going to be for us? Are we going to have a title? Secure in our power, prestige, privilege. Secure in our doctrinal certainty that excludes. We're so cocksure. We rationalize so well, we walk on the other side of the road. Or is it going to be the testimony? 
testimony that God is a God always of surprises. And if we're open to the Spirit of God, we'll understand that the Samaritan embodies God's surprising hope for everybody that is different from us. We bow with me. God, we stand before you as people who fail you, as people who have sinned and fallen short of your glory. But we are here thankful for your amazing mercy and grace that surprises us still. Lord, we rest in the comforts of our titles. Help us to be open to your spirit and experience your testimony. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. We are going to ask our ministerial staff to be at the back. I see Allie back there. We hope this morning that maybe God has surprised you. Maybe God has spoken to you in a way you didn't expect. Maybe that means talking to Allie or one of our other staff in the back about joining the church. Maybe, maybe it's about the old-fashioned rededication of your life. Maybe it's about accepting Christ. In this day and age, those have become increasingly surprising things to do. And we invite you to come.
Would you pray with me? God of love and mercy, today may we be inspired by the surprise of the Good Samaritan who took the risk to freely extend love for the other while being an other. In our lives, may we imitate such love. And today, allow us to be people of generosity, mercy, and kindness, just as Jesus instructed when he told the expert of the law, go and do likewise. Amen.
I just want to say a big thank you to Doug Weaver um, for sharing a very good word with us this morning. Um, we, I think we all can say we loved hearing you in that way. I know I haven't heard you quite like that before, and I loved it. So thanks for sharing your words with us today. Um, just another announcement. Audrey Doolittle's father passed away early yesterday morning. Um, so let's just keep her in our prayers. Um, I know she and Jamie will be heading up to be present for the funeral and memorial. So just keep both of them in your thoughts this week. Um, finally, Bible Club starts two weeks from tonight, which is pretty hard to believe. Um, but we still have a pretty good list of needs um, for volunteers. And so there's a list in your worship folder on the announcements page. Um, if you'd be interested in serving in one of those ways, we would absolutely love that. Um, there's a sign up in the Welcome Center, and that's the best way to get signed up. And then if you have any questions, I know Jenny Chilton would be happy to answer any of those. Um, so please consider serving in that way in a couple weeks. So now hear this spoken benediction. Friends, may the God who calls you from this place journey with you as you go. May God delight with you in joy, bringing unimagined graces, walk with you in darkness, shining light along your way. May God be close to you in pain, giving strength for every moment, and comfort you in fear, granting courage to be brave. May God's love surround you, may Christ's mercy astound you, and may the Spirit abound in you, so that you live in the fullness of the God who is with you always. Amen. <laughs>